hey, as we start a new series, I want to introduce this principle right off the bat. Truth minus love leads to constant criticism, but love minus truth leads to flattery, leads to a fickleness about the way we engage with words and those around us. In this new sermon series entitled, To Be Honest, we wanted to have some candid conversations about things both seen and unseen, about topics that are both popular and relevant, but also things that can be easy to to miss out on or, or things that we don't even think about. I'm reminded of Alexis's great sermon last week about the heresy of individualism, right? Most of us aren't ever given a quiz or a test like, do you accept or reject individualism? Because it's just so hidden and it's so prevalent in our society and culture. But what I love about being in a community like Chi Alpha is that we learn to think about things that we haven't yet thought about. and Or it's been said before, you know, how's your thinking or have you thought critically about the things that you think about? You know, I was thinking the other day to having dinner with my family and I was asking my son Jeremiah, you know, do you want the good news, the bad news, or the surprising news? And typically he'll usually go for the bad news first, but I have something similar today for us. Do you want the good news, the bad news, or the surprising news. I'll start with the good news because we could all probably use a little bit more good news. The good news is, is that for the believer and from the perspective of scripture, Jesus is victorious. In his life, death, and resurrection, we see that he's conquered sin and death and he invites us into that story. So that's the good news. The bad news is, is that we're living in the now and not yet. We're living kind of towards the end of the book of Acts, right? We're an extension of the early church, but we haven't yet seen everything that scripture has talked about come to reality or play out in the circumstances around us. And that's why Paul often writes in the New Testament about this fight, about this war that we're still kind of in, even though we know how it will end. And so it's this somewhat complex idea that I want to make simple as best I can. It's that Jesus is victorious, but from our limited earthly current perspective, and you'll probably agree with this, even though maybe you've never heard it before, it's that we're still discovering how to live into that victory. And that victory, although fully earned by Jesus, isn't necessarily at the current moment, the fullness of our lived experience, right? None of us is always on a win streak. None of us live on mountaintop experiences only. And then here's the surprising news, is that each of us, whether you're a believer or not, were born in the context of war. And when I'm talking about war, I'm talking about spiritual war or spiritual warfare. Two words, right, that'll get you to either press mute right now or to turn up the volume. So before we dig into this sensitive topic or discussion, I would love to pray for us. Jesus, I pray that you would help my words to be clear, that you would help us to learn who you are and whose we are through scripture. I pray that as we talk about spiritual realities around us, that we do so with humility, with eyes of hope, and with a trust in you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. In the book of Ephesians, towards the end, we read this in chapter 6. Verse 10 says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And here's our primary passage for our time together. 
verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. As I was reflecting on this passage this week, I realized something that for many of us that grew up in the church or grew up having conversations about passages like this, it can be very easy now as we're emerging adults or as we're adults to, to think of the armor of God as a Sunday school lesson, as like the strangest Halloween costume your mom made you wear or something like that. It feels a little hokey, feels a little bit like it's not substantive. But that's what happens when we disconnect verse 11 from verse 12, or later on in that passage when the armor of God is described, from the helmet to the shoes to the belt to the breastplate, right? And, and there's a few others, but that doesn't really make a lot of sense or begin to lead us to thoughtful application unless we really grapple with what the passage is saying in the verse that I just read, verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly realms. I was thinking about something I saw online from uh, author and pastor Brian Zond. And, and he, around this time of year, every year, he, he talks about the fact that people really do like being scared in terms of America's obsession with Halloween movies, especially those that are of the supernatural variety. Now, I'm like a total baby when it comes to that stuff, you know, so that's, that's not my cup of tea. But he says something really interesting. He says that for most people, getting scared at this time of year is the closest that they may come all year to engaging in the sacred. And he talks about how those words are so similar the vibes or the mentality can be in the same lane, but the experience and the outcome is ultimately different. It's very different to watch a scary movie than to really thoughtfully think about what powers, what realities are at work around us. Now, this passage does tell us a few key things. We are in a struggle. This cosmic struggle of good versus evil, of God versus Satan. And I love that it immediately tells us that this is not a struggle in which we are opposed or against any other person. Now, that's really difficult to wrap my mind around because whether I'm at the grocery store, whether I'm passing by a restaurant where there's very few masks being worn or whether I'm on Facebook, I can pretty easily position myself against people, even other Christians. And think that they are the enemy. They're the ones that got it wrong. They're the ones not listening. They're the ones that are ignorant or have missed out on what's actually happening in this cultural moment. But I love how Paul reminds you and I that the struggle is real. The war is, although unseen, its effects are very clear. And yes, although humans, all of us are foolish, some of us make evil and terrible decisions that cause our brokenness to bleed onto others, but there is something greater at stake. As you and I think about difficult questions regarding suffering and the realities of the world around us, it's this passage that gives a backdrop to what's really happening behind the scenes. Tim Mackey from the Bible Project goes so far as to say that this is talking both about unseen spiritual realities, but also isms and institutions. Because as we gather as humans, we typically gather for self-preservation and self-interest. 
And oftentimes, a group identity is most quickly formed in contrast to someone or something else. In the book of Ephesians, we're given instruction in this end of chapter 6 to be honest about the realities that we experience. Now, I'll be the first to say, I grew up in a community and in a church where it feels like everything that went wrong, it was the devil's fault. And I have to just say, you know, I think people just forgot to change the oil in their car, forgot to fill up on gas, and didn't plan well. That's like my response typically the majority of the time. But I can't ignore this reality. And in fact, when we zoom out through all of human history, when we take ourselves out of this Western American modern context, for the majority of recorded history, people of various religious and ideological beliefs have recognized the reality that there is something more than just humans interacting, that there are greater spiritual forces and powers. Now, before this seems like a doomsday talk, what I love about reading through the book of Acts is that we see that the spiritual realities around us, yes, they can manifest in difficult and terrible things. In, in, we see demons, we see sickness, disease. We see it constantly in the ministry of Jesus. He's having to rescue people from the margins of society that have prioritized perfectionism or prioritized appearance over authenticity. That's, that's something that's not good, that's not of God, that, that's evil, that's missing the mark. But we also see the Jesus side or the spirit side of spiritual realities. We see the miracles of Jesus, physical food being multiplied to meet the needs of thousands. We see God intervening and interrupting where sickness and disease have consumed someone's story. In just a moment, they're healed. We even see that after Jesus leaves, post-resurrection, the disciples, the early church, and even today, we see that prayer for healing, for deliverance, for addiction to be broken. We see these things and that they're real and that they're true because the Holy Spirit in Acts is given not just once, not just to the early church, but to all of us who would seek the Spirit so that we could be more effective, more vibrant ambassadors of Christ, followers of Jesus' kingdom, representatives. One of the things that I really want us to understand is that this passage much like Paul's writings, are brutally honest, but always have hopeful eyes. And not hopeful that the world will get itself sorted out, not hopeful that time heals everything, not hopeful that one church council or one political election will solve decades of issues, problems, or debates, but know that as we abide in Jesus, as we live into our identity as more than conquerors, we'll begin to see that our experiences aren't limited to the darkness around us, but instead we can be agents of light. We can be salt. We can be the difference maker, not because of our strength, but because of who God is in and through us. Now, I, I think that we don't often talk about spiritual warfare because we've either seen it handled poorly in talks or discussions before, We'd rather remain ignorant to it, pretending that if, if we don't see the mess, then maybe the mess isn't there. But what I love about Jesus, and I love about the Christian faith, 
is that it gives us a framework, a perspective, a worldview to engage in both the highs and lows of life, both the joys and the tragedies, and to realize that Jesus is there with us in all of that. What I really appreciate in this passage is the very first instruction um, in verse 14. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. We stand firm not because we have the answers figured out, not because we're suddenly better than who we used to be. We stand firm because of the truth of Jesus. We stand firm on the transforming power of God. We stand firm in our relationship with the God who's loving, caring, personal, and always available. And then it goes on to say this. With the, also put the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then he goes on in verse 18 to say, pray in the spirit on all occasions. What's really interesting in verse 16, I had to come to terms with this, is that I really wish that there was no flaming arrows of the evil one in my story. But instead, Paul encourages me to, to make sure that I'm both prepared and protected. I wish that life was a lot easier for myself now than it is. I'm sure there are many of you that are struggling, that are going through difficult things, and you just wish you could press that big, easy red button. You wish you could turn back time. You wish you could undo that decision. You wish you could have made a different choice. And you feel like the consequences of your sin, maybe the consequences of the sins of others, or maybe even just the systems and the institutions and the isms around you are causing you to feel under attack. Well, this passage gives us great hope that the shield of faith can help us to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil ones. Now, we talk a lot in Chi Alpha about being ambassadors of Christ. It's important to know that, man, as we're hoping to be ambassadors of peace and of hope, that it is possible that there are people in your life, in your story, that whether they intend to or not, perhaps that they're being ambassadors of something else, of strife, of hate, of, of tension. Uh, maybe they, they are obviously like out loud on the attack against someone that looks like you or believes like you do or thinks the way you think. This passage doesn't remove responsibility for people's actions, but it does give us an insight into the global, holistic cosmos of motivation. It's all of us were created in the image of God, but what was good turned bad, and when sin entered, bad became death, and now we're rediscovering, trying to act towards the renewal of God in our lives and in the world around us. Verse 10, circling back. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. That's important for, for me to hear, and I think important for you to hear. When you feel powerless, there is a mighty power in Christ. When you feel discouraged, 
There's the Holy Spirit, the helper, who can advocate for you to yourself, but also in front of the Father. When you feel disillusioned, you can recognize that in that moment of despair, Jesus doesn't depart from you, but he wants to meet you. All throughout scripture, we see the stories of ordinary people dealing with difficult circumstances, difficult tensions, problems. And as they turn to God, as they turn to a greater power, they see sometimes in the ways they'd expect and sometimes in ways they could never imagine the hope and power and peace of God break through into their lives and stories. Now, most days I would rather read about that than live into that. But if I'm being honest, right now, this week, today, I'm feeling a little tired. I'm feeling a little disappointed. I'm feeling concerned about where we're going as a country. And I have to realize that I don't have the answers, but I do have a God who protects. I love how Zephaniah says that he's a strong saving Lord, and it seems to put a picture of him with a sword in one hand, and yet he's also singing over us. He's strong, but gentle. He's powerful, but leads from peace. He's firm in his living out an expression of holiness and this call for us to be holy, but he's not doing so just for the rules, but so that we could live whole and full lives. The greatest deception of the enemy isn't that he would somehow trick us that we aren't struggling because I don't think any of us would fall for that. It's that he would deceive us to focus our attention on people instead of the powers and principalities behind those people and individuals. Well, what do we do from here? How do we engage in spiritual warfare? Well, here's some sobering news is you're, you're already in it. You're already doing it. So maybe there are new disciplines that you and I can add, whether it's prayer or fasting, gratitude or thanksgiving. Maybe it's praying, praying that God's kingdom would be revealed. Maybe it's speaking up in truth and love when you see things that would disappoint the heart of God. Maybe it's coming to the Lord and to your friends, honestly saying, man, I'm struggling with this. I, I, I feel defeated. And even though I don't I don't sense it. I'm going to put my trust in the goodness and in the hope of Jesus. The armor of God. The armor of God makes sense when we're in tune with the realities around us. Now, this isn't an exhaustive talk on how the supernatural invades today. This is not going to answer every question that you may have about demons or angels or the stories in the New Testament, or, or kind of the crazy miracles in the life of Jesus. But man, if, if you and I believe in Jesus, both part of God and Son of God, who came to earth and did miraculous things, who, who not only raised others from the dead, but dies and raises himself from the dead, then we have to realize that our faith at its core is incredibly mysterious mystical, and full of miracles. And I think that the farther we get away from recognizing that in our modern lives, the more disconnected we'll be from the great joy and goodness of the miracles in the life of Jesus. If you and I dismiss the idea that there's spiritual unseen realities, both positive and negative, in our world today that are causing harm, the negative ones, and evil, 
that are causing destitution and suffering, if we dismiss those, I think we'll unintentionally drift away from the supernatural healing, the supernatural deliverance, the supernatural story of Jesus, and ultimately the supernatural story that you're a part of. Because as you came to Jesus and as you surrendered your life to him, he began to change you. He began to reform you and restructure your thoughts, your life, your desires, and your habits. And so as we engage the world around us, whether in your neighborhood, with your family, whether in Zoom University, maybe on Facebook, amidst all the election and entails, I want to remind us, man, we need to fight for people and not fight against people. We need to recognize the unseen realities while still realizing that people are responsible and should be accountable to how they act towards others. And lastly, that in order for us to counter something spiritually, it's not going to work if we just become smarter and more strategic, but we also need to live into the supernatural side of our faith. That's why at the very end of this passage, it says, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. I've never been in a season of more intense prayer than when I'm honest about the forces around me that are trying to steal my joy, that are trying to tempt me and distract me, and that are trying to get me to live in contrast to others instead of in pursuit of others. Now, I know there are people in your life and in mine who you feel like the image of God in them is buried. It's buried underneath a lot of stuff. But as I look back on my own story that, that was me. I was broken and busted, problematic in every which way. And scripture says that while I was still an enemy of God, he was for me and pursuing me. So my encouragement today is not to love a broken world in your own strength or by a power of will or with a naive optimism, but instead to be grounded in the truth that this is a spiritual reality. We're born into war. Jesus is victorious. We haven't yet fully experienced all the victory, but we can live into that identity as victorious in Christ. And the more we rely on him, the greater chance we'll have to find joy, to fight well, and to experience God in all that we do encourage you to read the rest of this passage. encourage you to ask questions in life group about what does it mean to pray in the Spirit on all occasions. I want to thank you so much for being a part of what we do each week. I want to pray as we respond in worship. God, I pray that you would help us, help me to be honest about the world around us, to bring our hurts and pains to you. But when we see problems, when we see difficulties, God, would we engage them, not in our strength, but in yours. Thank you that you are strong, that you are faithful, that you're consistent, that you're full of justice and mercy. May we remember that and worship from that perspective. Amen.